Well, at times, I'm discouraged by how slowly I seem to be growing as a follower of Jesus. And there's things that I wish uh, would be going better. And there's things I always feel like um, I wish I was doing more of. And sometimes it feels like week after week or day after day or year after year passes by. And it's like, still, I'm still working on that thing. You know, that thing is still an issue in my life. And years ago, I read this book called um, Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. And in his chapter talking about prayer, he shares this quote. He says, he says this, it stuck with me. If I wish to humble anyone, I should question him about his prayers. I know nothing to compare with this topic for its sorrowful self-confessions. In other words, if you ask anyone, how's prayer going in your life? Most everyone is going to kind of be like, you know, it could be better. You know, everyone kind of is going to hang their heads and be like, I could be praying more. I could be liking praying more. You know, I'm getting them out, but it just kind of feels like I'm making it through the list at night. You know, so there's, we could all be, you know, feel humbled if we were asked that question. If you ask me, how much are you praying most days and most weeks? My answer would be not enough. I'm sure most of you would say that a similar answer to that. And since I became a Christian, I've certainly grown in how much I'm talking to God and depending on him throughout the day and whatever I face, but it's certainly not um, where it could be. And I think Sanders' quote could be applied to two other areas of the Christian life. One is um, loving others. If you asked anybody, hey, how are you doing at loving others like Jesus loved you? I think most of us are probably like, ooh, I don't think I'm doing as, as good of loving people as Jesus loved me as, as I could be. And if you, you know, came and asked me, like, hey, Mitch, how are you doing at loving Katie how Jesus loved you this week? You know, it'd probably be like, well, it depends on the day or the hour or, you know, the, what, when you ask me how I feel like it. But sometimes it can feel like I just get in the same ruts over and over again. Like, I keep doing that thing that hurts her. I keep doing this, this thing of me getting frustrated about something that's silly. And it feels like I'm just in this rut over and over again. And then a, a third topic would be that would humble anyone if you ask them is, how are you doing at telling others about Jesus? And every day this past month, you interact with people who are dead in their sins, under the wrath of God, and on a path toward eternal destruction. And did you tell any of them the good news about Jesus? Of all the people you interact with over this past month. And I know, you know, for me, I know Jesus is an important topic. Like, that's why we're here. Uh, and why should we be telling everybody about it? I know that everyone should believe in Jesus, and everyone would be great. You know, their lives would be better if they did believe in Jesus. And I've trained people in sharing the gospel, and we talk about how important it is on these nights. And yet, I'm often scared of what other people think of me, or I'm scared that I'm going to lose that relationship. Or maybe it's just that, you know, I'm, I'm too busy to worry about this person's eternal destiny. You know, I've got this other thing going on. You know, if you put it in those terms, it's kind of like, well, I guess that kind of s seems kind of silly. This could take me five minutes, you know, but it could affect the rest of their entire existence. And so those three things, prayer, loving others, and telling people about Jesus. And those three things pretty much sum up the Christian life. If you look in our community practices as a church, uh, we talk about where you see prayer show up is we have one of our community practices relying on the Spirit. And one of the ways you rely on the Spirit in your life is through prayer. And then we have, we talk about living as family, which is about loving each other. And loving as servants is loving people who are part of our church family. And so that's all about loving other people like Jesus has loved us. And then when we go as messengers, we're telling others about Jesus, and we have in our mission statement, inviting others to surrender all of life to Jesus. And so these three things are in our mission statement, prayer, loving others, and telling people about Jesus. But how many of you would say you have room to grow in those three areas, <laughs> that you haven't quite arrived at where 
you feel like you should be, even if nobody told you, like, hey, you should be doing more of this, I don't think anybody even needs to tell us, like, hey, you need to be praying more, loving others more, telling other more people about Jesus. Like, we just feel like, man, I'm falling short in these. And with prayer, the Apostle Paul tells us it should be unceasing. You should be doing it all day, moment by moment, depending on God, talking to him, bringing things to him. And it's not only frequency, but it's about how we pray and what we pray. And Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said what we should be praying about. Father, I want your name to be glorified. I want you to be known for who you truly are. And I want your kingdom to come. And I want your will to be done. But so often, frequently, our prayers become uh, kind of a wish list of things that we want done. We want, God, this is my will I'd like done today. This is my will I'd like done this year. Instead of, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done as it, on earth as it is in heaven. When it comes to loving others, usually we have limits of how far we're willing to go. Uh, and the example I thought of is when I walk in, when I come home from work and there's, you know, there's toys all over the place and the dishes have piled up and Katie, it's obvious Katie's had quite the day with Hudson. It's like, what's, in that moment, what's my reaction going to be? Is it going to be, oh, I'm frustrated that I have to do more work now that I came home? Or am I going to love her and there's not going to be any limits on how much that love is and how much I'm going to serve her? And we're, so often we get caught up and worried about whether our needs are being met or our wants are being met or our concerns are being followed or whether, you know, people are looking at us and seeing this is what I need you to do for me instead. So when I walk in the door, it's like, I wish you'd have had this all cleaned up for me so I didn't have to stress about this when I got home. Instead, oh wow, looks like Hudson needed a lot of care today. I'm going to serve her you know, by doing all this stuff. And every week, remind ourselves in our mission, inviting others to surrender all of life to Jesus. In sermons, we often talk about it, uh, telling people about Jesus. But how many of us are praying for and looking for and taking opportunities to tell people about Jesus? Some of us probably aren't even thinking about it uh, and aren't concerned about it. And, but, or some of us just have tons of other things on our minds. Or maybe when we think of it, we just kind of feel guilty. Or we just have like this shaking fear about, like, I, I wouldn't want to like, bring that into this relationship. That would be you know, horrible. And we're terrified to do it. And so we can ask, well, what keeps us from praying? What keeps us from loving others? What keeps us from telling others about Jesus? Is there something that would help us in all three of the areas? Is there kind of like a root that helps us in all of them? And we're continuing this series in um, the last chapter in the book of John, Final Words for Following Jesus, John 13 to 21. And Jesus knows I'm about to die. Um, he knows he's going to be resurrected too, but he's like, I know I'm about to die. Um, and he's preparing his disciples for what's about to happen because they just don't, they're not on that wavelength. They're thinking in much different terms. They're thinking he's going to set up this political earthly kingdom. He's going to boot out the Romans from Israel. And he's trying to prepare them. I'm going to leave. I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to die. I will come back to you. I'm going to be resurrected. And I'm going to send my the spirit so that he can go with you forever. But as Jesus, He's seeing his departure as fast approaching, and it serves these, these misunderstandings and questions that we saw last week. It's because they're like, where are you going? Well, how do we follow you there? And they're thinking in this earthly, physical way, and he's having to correct these misunderstandings. And last week in chapter 14, we saw, um, he's saying, he's telling him how he can be connected with them after he's gone. And he's saying, like, I'm one with the Father. I'm so close to with the Father, as a father and son. They're so connected that when you see what I'm doing, that's what the Father would be doing if he was here. I'm doing his will. I'm only doing what he says. I'm only doing what he would do. We're one. We're connected. I'm so obedient to him and in sync with him that if you see me, you've seen him. 
And then he tells them, now if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you. And he's telling them, you can, you'll be one with me too. When people, uh, as you live and obey me and commit to me and follow me, this we've talked about connection and commitment. When, you're com when you commit to me, I bring a connection by sending the Spirit to you. And now we're connected to one another. There's this oneness in our relationship. And if all that feels a little like heavy and like I don't really get that um, well hopefully this week helps because I think Jesus uh, right at the end of chapter 14 he says rise let us go from here they're all sitting in a room eating the last Passover supper and he gets done with some of this conversation he says rise let us go from here and so they're in Jerusalem and we know he's going to go to the garden of Gethsemane which is where he gets betrayed he prays to the father if you know that scene but on the way there while they're getting ready to go he comes up or gives them this illustration. Some people have thought as he's walking through Jerusalem, he sees some vines on the wall, and he's like, you know what? I'm the vine. And he uses this illustration. Whatever it is, you know, you can see we've got all these vines hanging out here. But Jesus is like, okay, let me give you an illustration for what I'm saying. Let me give you an analogy or metaphor to explain to you what I'm saying about my relationship with you. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on, this John 15, this metaphor he gives. And the big idea, if you want to have something that sums up John 15, 1, actually we're going to go to 16, 4, is this. Living in the loving presence of Jesus grows joyful living for him. So living in the loving presence of Jesus, living in the loving presence of Jesus, grows joyful living for him. Living in the loving presence of Jesus grows joyful living for him. And that living word, Jesus, as we see, uh, he uses the word abide. He says, abide in me. And it, for me, that word, I'm kind of like, what does that mean? Like, that's not really a word we usually use in everyday language. Other ways to translate it are like, remain in me, um, stay in me. And it, in the previous chapter, it's used uh, to say dwell. Um, when he says the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit dwells in me, uh, the same word, abide, the Holy Spirit abides in me and dwells in me. And, if, and when it's used in a non-spiritual way, to abide somewhere is to um, not just go in and out of it, it's to stay there for a while. So there's this idea of if you, he wants people to like stay in him, not to just come visit for every once in a while, but he later on he's going to talk about his love and his presence. And he's saying like that presence, you're not supposed to just be like, okay, here it is on Sundays or something. And, you know, once a week I come and visit it, and I get in the loving presence of Jesus, and then I leave. He's like, no, you stay in it. If you live in that, and I live in you, that's going to change your life. It's the place you're supposed to live. It's the place that um, you're supposed to live your life from the fact that Jesus loves you. And so that's what um, that uh, word is about. But let's look back at the text, John 15, verses 1 We'll reread verses 1 through 8, John chapter 15, I think it's page 902, the black Bibles we have here. So Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If 
anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And so there's kind of a, in the first part here that we just read, he's setting up this metaphor. Uh, he does a little bit of explaining as he's saying the metaphor, but in the following verses then he really sets up um, more, or he explains more of the metaphor. But we have these three basic characters, the vine, the branches, and the vine dresser. And it's interesting, I mean, the spirit would be the, kind of, if you think of a vine connected, we, and we have all these, <coughs> check it out, look at this sweet prop, showed the brat earlier. But, okay, so we have a branch, um, this branch, if you disconnect it from the vine, I know they all look the same, but if you disconnected it from the vine, um, it's just going to die. It no longer has like the sap of the vine and all that stuff that gives life um, flowing through it. And so it needs to remain connected to the vine. But, and so the vine is Jesus. And where are these branches? And at the same time, there's this vine dresser. And, some, and he talks about um, the father being the vine dresser. And he says the vine, the father is going to prune us. And so that may sound maybe like a negative word. Ooh, I don't want to be pruned. Like God's going to come and like snip things out of my life. Um, but when I was growing up, we had uh, this raspberry patch, uh, and we would every year my dad would go through it and he would prune it. He'd take out these like dead stalks and he'd look at you know uh, raspberry. I don't know what you call them. I guess they're called bushes, but they're kind of not bushes. But he would he would cut pieces off them, and the whole goal was he didn't want these other things um, kind of weighing it, those them down. He wanted all <laughs> the, the life that was being brought up from the ground, all the nutrients, to go to producing. Raspberries. He didn't want all these little weak branches and stuff on the on the raspberries. He wanted them to produce the most. And so the father, you think about it, the father's desire as he's dress, dressing the vine, um, he's his whole goal is I want this vine to be more fruitful. I want it to have more life flowing into it. And so he comes. There's this gentleness because we didn't, you know, if we stopped through our raspberry bushes, we'd have just like knocked it all down. And so there's this. Um, looking at it like, okay, this little part should come off. And so all those parts in our life that would hold us back from living for Jesus, that's what the Father is taking out. And so in this metaphor, if you imagine branches having like a, having arms, that's kind of what the abiding is. Like if branches had arms, Jesus is saying like, you need to abide in me, you're this branch, and if a branch had arms, you know, it needs to keep holding on to the vine if it's ever going to grow, if it's ever going to produce fruit. You know, if you have some grapes out here, and that's what kind of vines you'd be talking about. It's never going to produce fruit. It's never going to grow unless its little arms are holding on to the vine. But if at any point it says, you know what, I'm, I'm done with the vine, and it's just going to wither and die. It can't have any life. It can't produce any fruit on its own. And the vine is not the branches, and the branches are not the vine. And yet, they are one, right? They're... They're one. There's a oneness there. There's a connection there. They're, they're unified. They aren't equal to each other, um, but yet they are one. They're intimately connected. The branches depend on the vine for life, and it's through the branches that the vine bears fruit. And so, I mean, Je of course, Jesus could do all the, you know, all the stuff, anything he wants on his own, but as the vine, he wants to bear fruit in this world through the branches. And so if there's not a, if there's not a branch here, um, then there's no fruit. And so the, there, Jesus, the vine, wants to bear fruit um, through the branches. It's sturdy. And abiding, as we said, is living in. And we check 
into hotels for a temporary stay, or we go to restaurants, we go to coffee shops, and when you go to those places, they kind of have a, an effect on you. I mean, like, go to, Joe and I were just talking about Starbucks, like, oh, it's just kind of a nice place to, like, work, kind of can motivate you, it's like a social atmosphere, and it has this effect on you, um, but we're not, that's not what it's supposed to be between us and Jesus. Like, okay, you know, I just have my, you know, my quick fix once a week on a Sunday gathering, or maybe, like, you know, I'll go and talk to somebody, um, have a Bible study or something with them, and it's like, okay, now I just move on. And, like, I do a quick check-in, and now I move on. But it's, no, we're supposed to be living in the vine. The branch doesn't at some point, like, sweet, you know, I'm just going to connect, you know, get a little sap from your vine. I'm like, doo -doo, I'm going to go do my thing right here. And, and then, okay, I'm going to come and check in for a while. No, the abiding is supposed to be our life. Our, how we're living comes out of Jesus' love. And when you're looking at the next part of this passage, We'll read the next couple of verses, um, 9 to 17. He begins to explain it. Actually, we'll back up to verse 8. And so he has this metaphor that he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Um, this is how you stay connected to me. And then he explains it a bit. So we'll start in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And so, a couple things to point out. Jesus says it's by bearing fruit that we prove to be his disciples. And um, if we had a little fruit thing connected on here, uh, we would connect three things, those three things I talked about, Prayer, uh, loving others as he's loved us, and telling others about Jesus. We haven't gotten to the telling others about Jesus yet. He does that in the next section of the passage. But he's already talked about prayer. He talks about um, up in verse uh, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And this isn't a like, ooh, we have like this magic incantation now. We can just get God to do whatever we want for us. But it's... Uh, if you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll see Jesus pray in just a couple chapters, he prays, Father, please take this cup from me. Please don't let me have to go through with this. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And when we, our prayers become effective, they become powerful, when we're praying according to what God already wants done, when we're praying for his kingdom to come, when we're praying for his will to be done, because God doesn't exist to do our will, uh, but so often our prayers reflect that we think he exists to do our will, to get done whatever we want done. But we actually exist to do his will, to get done what he wants us to get done. Um, we're the branches through which God bears fruit in the world and is doing his work in the world. And so often we get that mixed around. But at the same time, it, we're invited to bring our cares and concerns to God. If you read First Peter 5, cast all of your anxieties on him, for he cares. He cares about what we're going through, and he cares... In Philippians 4, like with bring our, 
bring our concerns to God, our requests to God. We're supposed to bring them to him like little children who need his guidance, who need his help with things. But at the same time, if we want to see our, the power in our prayers, our prayers to be effective, it's when we're praying in line with what God's will already is. And then Jesus says, um, abide in my love. And how do we abide in his love? He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. It's interesting in verse 9, he tells them, and it, when you read verse 10 by itself, it can kind of sound like, oh, do I have to like earn Jesus' love? If I don't obey Jesus, he won't love me. And it's, can, if you take that verse by itself, it can be a little confusing. But remember, um, in chapter 13, Jesus has already washed their feet. And so he did this huge act of love for them already. And he says in the beginning, of, uh, up in verse 3, he says, Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And that clean, like he's already washed their feet. He's already told them the good news about what he's doing. And then he says in verse 7, or verse, uh, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And so he's saying, I've already loved you. I do love you. I've chosen you out of the world, and I, and I do love you. And I want you to stay in that love. And if you want to think of an example of someone who doesn't, Judas. Judas was loved just as much as all of them. He had his feet washed, and Jesus had loved him, been with him for three years. And yet Judas did not hold on to Jesus. Judas saw, I don't know what he, I mean, we know that he had this greed about selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And so he's, is he scared of what the future is holding? Is he wanting just to pat his own pockets? But Judas loves something more than Jesus. And so because of that, he removes himself from Jesus' love. And it's like that, he's saying, you guys are in a relationship with me, and I need you to, I want you to stay in that. And it's this commitment thing and connection thing. It's like Jesus the only way that connection with him is possible is because he's already initiated. He's already said, I love you, and I have loved you, and I want you to stay in this love. And if you want to be in this relationship, here's what it looks like. It looks like obeying me. And it doesn't earn your way into it. Jesus is openly offering it to us, just as Brad was telling us about that. God is the one who freely offers himself to us. And he says, if you want me, here's what it looks like. Uh, obeying me. Walking with me. And then he also talks about joy. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so Jesus isn't like, hey, I want to take away all your fun. I want you to just do the things I want you to do and you just got to you just got to deal with it. He's like, no, I'm telling you to do this because I want your joy to be full. I want this you to experience more joy than you ever knew you could even experience. And when I think about sometimes when I think about prayer or loving others, we're telling others about Jesus. Some of us, we might have this moment where we're like, okay, I just, I guess that's what I got to do to follow Jesus and obey him. And I just got to kind of grip my teeth and make it through. This is my duty. But he says, no, these things should be joy-filled. And if we're not doing those things with joy, then there's something, there's some sort of disconnect between um, what, we're, uh, what we're doing and what we should be experiencing. And then he says these amazing lines if he calls them friends because... He's let them in on plans. A master just tells a servant what to do. He's like, but I've let you in on my plans, on the plans of God. And then the cool part is that they've now written down what Jesus told them, which he said the Spirit would help them do. And now we're in this place where we're privy to, you know, have access to information that is the access that friends of God would have. And so it's this um, amazing privilege we're given. Let's read the final verses we didn't read yet, 15, 18 to 16, 4. 
if 15, 1 through 17 was all about the love of Jesus and us needing to live from that and in that, these remaining verses are about the hate of the world. So he says, starting in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You also will bear witness, because you have seen, been with me from the beginning. And I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And Jesus divides. You either love him or you hate him. And there's no in between. And we're going to, as human beings who are flawed and still have sin, we're always going to love him imperfectly. Um, any relationship that, we try to, that we're in, we're going to love imperfectly. But either we're saying yes to Jesus or we're saying no to Jesus. And we're saying yes to Jesus. We're saying, I want to love you. I want to obey you. I want to trust you. I want to do what you say. And I'm not going to do that perfectly. Um, and in fact, I can't even do it apart from you, Jesus. And so I'm going to rely on your work in me, um, of your spirit to have sent me to do what you want me to do. And we're either doing that or we're saying no to Jesus and going the opposite way. And Jesus here is talking about, he says, if, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. And so being one with Jesus, when we're saying, like, I want to follow him, I want to be, love him and do what he did and say what he did, and look what the world did to him. Um, so if we want to have, and when we're one with Jesus, when we commit to him, we're given this amazing connection. We have the same relationship with the Father that he had, and we're giving, given everything that's true of Jesus becomes true of us. And that includes all the good and all the bad. And Jesus is saying, if it was true that the world hated me, don't be surprised when the world hated, hates you as well. But he does make a distinction. When we're thinking, and here he talks about, uh, in verse um, 26, he says, the Spirit, at the end of it, he says, the Spirit will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. And there's a uniqueness there to the original disciples, because they were authorized witnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, because they were there from his baptism, for, and then three years later, until his death and resurrection. So they're authorized witnesses in a different way than we are, but they're authorized witnesses to write down all these teachings about Jesus. But then now, I mean, Jesus, they were telling people, hey, you need to be ready to tell others people about what this, why you have this hope in you and why you, uh, <coughs> what you know about Jesus. And so we have that same command to be sent out. And so there's 
a part that the Spirit bears witness to us. You see other passages where the Spirit really is telling us, hey, this is really true. This is really what the good news is about. This is who Jesus really was. This is what he really did. And this is how much he loves you. And that's how we can be like, well, how does this guy that lived 2,000 years ago, how can I really be connected to him um, besides just doing what he said? Well, the Spirit is the one who makes Jesus present with us, Jesus' loving presence. So it's not just like, oh, we look back at Jesus' love. This thing he did 2,000 years ago wasn't that great. But no, it's his loving presence is with us through the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And now I'm going to be with you and dwell inside of you. As we'll see next week, Jesus actually says, it's better that I leave. It's better that I send the Spirit because now I'm with you wherever and I can't be taken away. But he says uh, that this hate that the world shows you towards you, it's not really about you. It's because they hate me. It's because they hate my Father. And so anytime we're afraid, I'm like, well, if I tell this person about God, if I tell them the gospel, if I tell them about my faith, if I tell them about Jesus, what if they don't like me? What if they react? And it's like, we can have this confidence that it's not really about us. We're representing somebody who's more powerful and higher than us. And that's the person they're actually reacting to. That's the person they're showing disdain towards uh, and hatred towards. But he said, if we come back to this big idea, living in the loving presence of Jesus grows joyful living for him. He's talking to people who have been loved by him. And if we put our trust in Jesus, he's talking... All this passage is for people who have already been loved by him. Jesus initiates a relationship with us. Jesus loves us first, and he offers to move in. And he says, I want this. I want to move into your life. I want my love to dwell in your life, to abide in your life. Do you want the same for me? Do you want me to move in? And we abide in Christ. We live from our love in Christ by saying yes to Jesus, yes to his commands, yes to his promises, yes to his salvation. And as we say in our mission statement, it's surrendering all of life to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's both a, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, and I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. And the only thing, when we think about prayer and loving others as Jesus loved us, and uh, telling others about Jesus, there's a little fruit you know, on this. The only way that's going to grow in our life, Jesus says, is through his loving presence. It's through knowing his love. For us, The only thing that can produce it is his love and delighting in it, trusting in it, resting in it. And if you think about the sponge, I know some, maybe the vine and the branches thing doesn't quite connect with you, but it's like the, the vine, the branch apart from the vine is like this, crusty, nothing in it. It would just kind of break and be brittle. And for each of us, when you think about your prayer life, does it feel kind of like a dry sponge, or like, okay, I need to pray, and you're kind of like, I just need to squeeze these prayers out of me, you know, it's like, I just need to, or if you're wanting to love others, like, okay, you know, my kids are crazy, or my neighbor's crazy, or my coworkers are crazy, or, you know, whoever it is that you're trying to love, and you're just like, okay, I just got to squeeze a little love out, and it's like, maybe if you're getting filled up, like, I had a good day at work, and so, like, puts a couple drops of love in you, like, I'm feeling pretty good, oh, I guess I can squeeze that out on my husband, or my wife, or um, whoever it is, and it's like, we just feel like we're trying to squeeze a dry sponge. Or it's like, okay, I know I'm supposed to tell other people about Jesus. And you're going through your day, and it's just like, I just got to try to squeeze out, you know, just try to tell somebody about him. And it's like, we feel like we're squeezing a dry sponge. And the thing about branches is, branches of a vine or a sponge, a sponge can't 
produce water. It's just a sponge hanging out. Uh, it can only receive water, and it can only give what it's received. And so maybe sometimes we're feeling powered up by you know somebody giving, telling us, or affirming us, like, oh, my spouse did something really nice for me yesterday, and so now today I have something to squeeze out. I've received some love from them, and so now I have something to squeeze out. Or whatever it is, I had a good day at work, and so now it's like, oh, I, like, I feel like they kind of put something in me, and now I have something to squeeze out to pray to God. Isn't that great? Or you know, I had a great church service, and you know, the songs hit me, and it's like, I got a couple drops of love, and, or of love for Jesus, and now I can like, squeeze that out. But we, when, if we, we're supposed to be, maybe this is a good image for like, dwelling in uh, Jesus. It's like we're supposed to just be in it. Like all the time. We're not supposed to be like, woohoo, hopped in it. Now, well, it's going to run out pretty quick. Isn't it? It's like, well, this is supposed to be where we're living from. We're just this sponge that's soaked in the love of Jesus that we know how much he's done for us. And Jesus said back in John 13, this, what I'm doing for you as my disciples getting down and washing your dirty, mucky feet, this job that isn't even fit for a slave. That's how much I love you. I'm willing to do all of that for you. And then I'm laying down my life as the good shepherd. I'm laying down my life as your friend to die for you. And we're supposed to not you know, come and tap into this and then like leave it. Like maybe on a Sunday we come and it's like, ooh, I tapped into the love of Jesus and now I got kind of filled up and I go, I really want to squeeze this out here, but I know it's a bad idea. But, um, you know, like, okay, now I'm going to go and try to love um, whoever it is in my life. Oh, well, I can't. Oh, now I'm going to try to go out and, and pray a little bit. But if we're not living from this place, like if we're just trying to come get it filled up every Sunday, and that's the only time we ever think about Jesus' love for us, um, we're never going to have enough to squeeze out. We're supposed to be just living in it. And it's like, instead of it being like this stationary thing where we come and stop in for a while, it's like, I'm going out in the world. I'm the sponge with Jesus' loving presence all around me and in me, and I'm just squeezing it out on other people. And that's how it's supposed to be, not these quick pit stops of getting in there. Now I'm all wet, but that's okay. But there's, so we'll think about these three areas. Maybe you can think about which one of these do I really need to grow in? I mean, we probably all would say all of them, but do you need to, it's joyfully praying, joyfully loving others, or joyfully telling others about Jesus. Joyfully praying, joyfully loving others, or joyfully wit, uh, telling others about Jesus. And we said um, that living, living in Jesus' loving presence grows joyful living for him. Well, what's that joyful living for him? Jesus says it in this passage. If, what's the fruit he wants us to bear? He talks about where well, you're going to be praying, and your prayer is going to be effective and powerful. You're going to be praying in my name. You're going to be praying according to my will. He talks about, oh, I, here's the commandment I want you to follow. I want you to love others, one another, as I've loved you. And then he talks about, you're going to bear witness about me. And he says, I'm telling you all these things. I want you to do all these things so your joy may be full. And so none of them is supposed to feel like this dry duty where we're just like, okay, Jesus, I guess I'm going to do this for you. Um, but we're supposed to be doing it with, with joy flowing out from us. And so when you think about those, prayer, loving others, telling others about Jesus, which one is where you're feeling like you need, you need to be. And as we think about, and sometimes when I ask, like, well, how do you experience the love of Jesus? 
is it just me? Like, I need to, like, get off in the woods, and, like, at some point I'll feel, like, this warm sensation or something. It's like, ooh, that was, like, the love of Jesus kind of, like, pouring onto me or something like that. Well, there's, I think there's two main ways. Well, one, we hear about the gospel, which is telling us about the love of Jesus. One of the other ways we experience it is the Spirit bearing witness inside of us, telling us the Father really loves you. Jesus really loves you. This is all really true. That's how we get connected with him. But then the Spirit is also in other people. And we talked about this a couple weeks back. One of the ways we experience God's love, God's people are God's delivery system for God's love in your life. And so if you're wanting to experience the love of God, being involved in this church, being involved with other people, bringing your problems to them and letting God love you through that is one huge way. Um, other way you experience the love of Jesus it's by doing these three things, actually, which may seem counterintuitive. Like, wait, aren't I? Isn't Jesus' love supposed to be the thing that grows these three things in my life? Um, well, they're obedient. Experiencing Jesus' love and obedience are like two sides of the same coin. That's why we say connection and commitment. The more you commit to Jesus, the more you experience connection with Him. The more connection with Him you feel, the more you are committed to Him, and that just keeps building off of each other. And so, it's the more we do pray. In, the way, in, in Jesus' name. The more we do love others, the more we do bear witness about Jesus, the more we'll experience his love. And you think about it like this. How, how do you know, if you look out of like a pond, how do you know the ice can hold you? Someone could tell you, and then you could be like, well, I'm gonna research how thick it should be. It should be whatever. I think it's only like two inches thick. It's like crazy. <coughs> Don't take my word for that. Pastor Mitch said it's only, it's two inches, so I'm going to go out there. You know what it is? What is it? It's two? This, which is crazy. I don't know how it's possible. Ice needs to be two inches thick, and you're like, okay, I'm going to check with the meteorologist. Ooh, they say it's three inches thick. But you sitting in a bench and being like, that ice could hold me. You have it in your mind. You have this cognitive sense that it can hold you, but you have not experienced it holding you. You don't know or truly experience it holding you until you step out on the ice, which is a, a trust. You don't really know if you can trust it. You don't really experience trust or show that you trust until you've stepped out on the ice. And so with Jesus, we need to step out and do these things. Like, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray in your name. I'm going to pray for your will to be done instead of my will to be done. I'm going to love others like you've loved me. And you know, in those moments we've talked about, like, I'm going to let go of the rope. Instead of fighting with, trying to pull from other people what I need from them, what I want from them, I'm going to let go of the rope. I'm going to walk over to them and say, what do you need? How can I love you and serve you? And then telling others about Jesus. Like we can be so scared. Like I don't know if I'm going to be okay. I don't know if this is going to work out. And how, do you, how can you learn that you can trust Jesus? It's by trusting him, stepping out on the ice. He's told me he's trustworthy. The ice is thick enough. The meteorologist said it's thick enough. Can I, you know, if you just stand at the edge, you'll never experience the ice holding you up. And so it's, you know, I'm going to tell this, I'm going to talk to this person about God. Whatever happens, happens. And that's an experience. We can experience Jesus' love, um, discovering that his love is enough for us. And that even in that, it's like, okay, like they didn't really like me or they reacted good or whatever it is. And, or like, oh, I, I, I laid aside my needs to love this person and I'm still okay. You know, like I didn't, didn't need, you know, them to be, me to be this black hole of just sucking all the um, this stuff towards me. And so as we're closing and thinking about how to leave from here, 
the final things that Jesus talk, seems to be talking about in all these chapters with disciples, connection and commitment. You want to be connected with me. You need, I've already offered connection to you. You be committed to me. You love me. You trust me. And obedience, if you think about, what about faith? Isn't it by grace through faith, not by, by obedience, or by grace through obedience that we're saved? Well, the Bible never separates those two because um, obedience is how faith is made visible. You don't see somebody's faith. You don't see somebody's trust. And how do you see somebody's trust if the ice is thick enough? By them stepping out. And so you don't see somebody's faith unless they are obey. Faith is made visible through obedience. And so what, maybe we'll just talk and brainstorm a little bit together quickly. Like what, you know, what are some of the things that often keep us from praying or loving others or telling others about Jesus? I've named some things that are in my mind, but what, you know, keeps us from them, all of us from them? Greed. Greed? So it might be loving others, and I don't want to give them five bucks or, you know, or time, whatever it is. all of them. It's actually kind of the root of all of them, isn't it? And then if we think about Jesus' love in that, it's like if you're this little dry sponge and you're like, that's going to make you greedy, right? If I don't got anything filled up, like I need things for me, but if you're all filled up, it's like, well, I, I guess I don't really need that person's love. I guess I don't really need that person's money or time. And I actually have quite a bit I can give. Like Jesus has given me so much. So greed could be one. Any others that keep you from Loving others or praying or, you know, excuses you make in your mind. Being vulnerable. Being vulnerable. It can be scary or something like that. In which situation are you thinking? Um, I mean, every situation, you know, when you love somebody, showing that you love them, what if they mm. don't accept it, and, you know, yeah. not reciprocated, or oh my God, because you just shunned me, so it's like being vulnerable. Yeah, all those, well, at least the you know, two you mentioned, yeah, you're kind of opening yourself up a little bit, and you're, uh, instead of having the wall, or, you know, I don't know, like the window shutters, you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to come out here out of my door or whatever, and come out of my castle or whatever it is, and when you come out, like, you can be hit, somebody can strike you, and then if we have the love of Jesus, though, we know, even if this person doesn't love me back, you know what, I wasn't doing it because my sponge is dry, you know, I'm going to love you because I need my sponge filled up a little bit. I need you to love me back after I love you. But we're actually doing it because we have received love, and now we're these little sponges you know, giving out love to somebody else. Or when we're telling somebody about Jesus, we're, we're not, I mean, you're kidding. I mean, I feel the same way. Like, what if they don't like me? Or, you know, what if, you know, I open myself up in this way, and then they are just mean to me or whatever. And it's like, you know, I think they're, when we have Jesus' love, it's like, I just need to, like, I'm, you know, a sponge, it's like when you see like a, if I put this up here, it'd be just dripping all over and you're like, I got to wring that out. You know, like a full sponge needs to be wrung out. And so it's like when we've like filled ourselves up, it's like, I just need to wring myself out on somebody, you know, and tell them about Jesus or I need to love them. Yeah, so vulnerability, greed, anything else? One last one, any comes yeah, to mind? It's, it's ironic that you bring this up because um, just the last time I prayed, I, I apologized to God because... The most often I pray is when I'm about to go to sleep. Hmm. I'm very consistent about that, but not in everything I do. I, I, I actually apologize to the Lord for not coming to him more often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we're not a, 
if he's the king who's given us an assignment, how in the world can we fulfill that assignment if we never talk to him? Like, today you have an assignment for me. What is it? And if you never check in, it's like, you know, I'm going to sleep. Sweet God, you know, live my day. Thank you. Well, you were supposed to ask me at the beginning of the day and throughout the day what you were supposed to be doing today instead of like, you know, sleep, help me, you know, sleep good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm sure we could come up with even more things, but this is the close. Each of us as individuals get filled up as these sponges as we connect to Jesus and we're uh, having his love poured into us through seeing what he did for us on the cross, through stepping out and doing these things, through praying. That gives us a connection with him through, uh, I mean, obedience. How do you get closer to somebody who says, like, if you want a relationship with me, you need to obey me. You know what? I like a relationship with you, but I like to do it a different way. You're never going to feel close to them. Like, you know, father and son. Jesus says, I'm super close to my father because I do only what he's told me to do. And so, like, we're tight. And if you have this father-son relationship where the father is always saying, I need you to do this, and here's how you can please me, I need you to do these chores, and the son is always like, no, 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 no. It's not an experience of closeness there and connection. And so if we want to be close to Jesus and experience connection with him and experience his love and stay in his love, it's like, I want to do whatever you want me to do. Um, and that requires prayer, that requires obeying the command he says to love others, and it requires bearing witness. And we do this as individuals, but then as a community, because, you know, we all in, you know, interconnect. He says, he doesn't actually say, I want you to love the world like I've loved you. He says, you disciples, I want you to love each other like I've loved you. And that's how the love of Jesus is happening in our community. So as a church, we're supposed to be this place where it's like we have the spirit, and that spirit is leading us to love one another as we love Jesus. And so as a community, we go and we get to squeeze out loving the world, how Jesus has loved us. We get to tell people as a community how Jesus has loved us. And so, if you remember anything today, remember you're a dry sponge, but you can be filled up on Jesus' love, and we get to go around with his loving presence with us. It's not just like, hey, i got to go read the Bible, um, but it's helpful, and then I have to go out. But it's, he, it's actually with us through his spirit um, as a community, as individuals. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this passage reminding us that apart from Jesus we can do nothing, that we need him. If we could do this perfectly, if we could do it on our own, there's absolutely no reason that he would have come to earth, no reason he would have died, no reason he would have sent the Spirit. And so we just confess now that we need you um, more than we need anything. And would you help us to live as a community of love who tell others about you. Since then we pray. Amen.